Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. The first slam dunk movie or Guanlangao show finally hit Chinese cinemas, and already it is setting records for the genre. Fans have waited 28 years since the Japanese manga and anime series concluded, and they're giving it a rousing welcome. Not many imported movies have enjoyed success that's even remotely close, though, in recent years. What's taken the sheen off of imported movies? And to plan or not to plan when you travel—that is the question. What kind of traveler are you? For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and John. Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's roundtable, have imported movies lost their appeal in China? The answer is a complicated one. The Hollywood blockbuster of the titular Nintendo character, the Super Mario Bros. movie, saw a considerable box office disparity in the China and international markets. On the other hand, the Japanese animation movie, The First Slam Dunk, turned out to be a real slam dunk in the box office in China. It already enjoys the biggest premiere for a foreign animated movie in history. Imported movies are no longer guaranteed box office darlings in the Chinese movie market. Has imported movies lost its allure to some extent? Yeah, we can see、um, there is a trend、uh, that is emerging in recent years. Many blockbusters, which were released simultaneously in China and abroad, performed very differently, according to the box office statistics website Box Office Mojo. The game-turned-animated movie produced by Nintendo and Illumination, the Super Mario Bros. movie, has recently accumulated a global box office of 678 million U.S. dollars and became the highest-grossing film of 2023 so far. But it has only earned less than 90 million yuan, which is about 13 million U.S. dollars in China. And judging from the ratings, actually, this movie performed quite good in China. It scored 8.1 on Douban, which is a platform that users can make comments and ratings on movies. And the American film and television news website Deadline estimates that the final global box office of the Super Mario Bros. movie may exceed 1 billion U.S. dollars. But we can see in domestic market, the box office of it quickly surpassed by other hit films like、uh, the Japanese animated movie Suzume no Tojimari. Which is in Chinese, Ling Ya Zhi Lu, and the Chinese remake version of Hachiko, the movie for the dog, Zhong Quan Ba Gong. So we can see, no matter how popular the film is, it may still show like different pictures in different markets. And also, we've all been waiting for the slam dunk movie, and it. Uh, was first shown in Japan last December, so finally it's here, and the fans, moviegoers, as well as the operators in the business, we've 
all been waiting for this boost in the Chinese cinema now in April. So, Josh, when you're looking at all of this, do you see um, imported movies not being so popular so much and also the latest box office success of the first slam dunk movie? Yeah, I, I think that all of this is illustrative of China's uh, the increased competition from Chinese movies in China. I think that China's really developed uh, its film industry and it looks as though it's, for me anyway, as an outsider coming here, I've, I've been quite amazed. I've been here for about five years now. And I think even in that time, uh, as someone myself, uh, I'm uh, really into movies. I, I've really seen a development. And um, I think that Chinese movies are now being produced on a much higher budget and um, at a much higher rate than before. I think the first example I think that really blew me away was when I saw The the Wandering Earth. I think that was mm. the first massive blockbuster that, that I saw, at least since living in China. And that was really quite amazing to me. And I think that marked quite a distinction, at least in Chinese film history, or at least that time for moving into its own. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me, actually. And and actually, I, I'm not sure if we should take this Super Mario's movie as so important yet, because I think that there have been other massive films that have been a flop in China. One example I can give that was huge in the West, but wasn't so big here was uh, Star Wars. Uh, some mm. of the Star new Star Wars films haven't been as big in China. And they were obviously huge in the US and UK and, and Europe, for example. So. I do think that this is illustrative of uh, a new era of film in China. But then again, there are uh, successes and not successes here as well. Yeah, that's interesting when you bring up Star Wars, because we know it's a massive franchise that I have still not seen, if I may admit, a little there bit red face there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you work in the media, you, show, you should know these things. But Star Trek, Star Wars, these are just not really my cup of tea and I didn't grow up watching them and I think that is that has a huge effect on whether people are going to see a movie if it is an existing we call them IP here which is an existing franchise because even with the slam dunk movie because so many of us of the millennial generation born in the 1980s and 1990s in China we grew up watching it. And right. then Liu Chunfeng, Shimu Gangxian, the red-headed guy, Yingmu Huadao, you know, these character names, they've migrated into the Chinese lexicon. When you say these names, we immediately know what kind of person you're talking about. And that's how sort of deeply or pervasive that this animation has been for so many Chinese people. So it's more than just a movie, so to speak. Mm. And I assume that for a lot of people in English speaking countries who grow up watching Star Trek, Star Wars as such, they would have a similar kind of feeling and they would go to the cinema to see these movies, but not so much for the Chinese people. Maybe that's one thing. But also in the past, let's say a few decades ago, um, when it's a Hollywood blockbuster shown in the Chinese cinema, people will flock to see it, to see the special effects, to see the mega movie stars as such. But now the attraction might not be as strong. Or what do you think, Yushun? 
Yeah, I think first of all, what we've been talking about is one of the reasons that these blockbusters perform very differently in two markets. For example, what we are discussing the Star Wars thing, and I think another very good example is the D and D. Uh, Dragons and Dungeons that is really famous in the United States. I think that because they have that kind of a cultural background that kids just love to play these kind of board games, and also Star Wars. So many franchises and、um, many, including like Legos and other figurines. People just like to buy these things in their childhood. So people just born with that environment. But in China, we have like different. Cultural backgrounds in these areas, so I think that is one of the reasons. And another one is, I think, of course, people's consumption habit has changed in recent years、mm. after the three-year pandemic. You know, we will not just so easily to go to a crowded place or a room that is、um, not fresh air flowing <laughs> freely. You know, so people will choose to like go outdoor activities, but. Into a film theater to see these movies if they are not really interested, but like before, if like it's really famous worldwide, maybe people people will just choose to go to see it for this special fact, and then it can become the new fan of this kind of thing. Yeah, I I think that this isn't a phenomenon just in China, right? I think that there's multiple examples of films that haven't done particularly well in other. Countries and amongst other cultures, because films are very nuanced, and I think that especially when it comes to things like humor, I think as film industries develop in countries, of course, we know that different cultures have very different cultural humorous、uh, nuances when it comes to humor, right? And、mm-hmm. I think that that's a really important part in film. And I think as China's film industry is developing, I think as well as having higher budgets for things like. Animation and CGI and just camera quality and quality in general. There's also the quality in the scripting and the writing. And if you can have films that are written more specifically for a Chinese or Asian audience, as you mentioned with the Slam Dunk、uh, franchise, right? Then I think that they are going to be more successful. One film that I can remember that wasn't so successful outside of the U.S., which is really famous, is Die Hard. I don't know if you've ever uh, uh, seen that <laughs> film, but I'm sure you know it, right? Bruce it's Willis. It's probably one of the most. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Willis. It's one of the most American movies <laughs> ever made, and it wasn't that successful outside of the U.S.、Um, I、mm. think that. Later on, because it became a bit more of a cult film, it it、mm. got a lot more popularity. But on its release, it was really only massively successful in the U.S. So,、um, I think that、uh, this is this is my、uh, sort of opinion about this. I think it's quite positive, though. Honestly, I think it makes for a more interesting、um, film, international film industry and market. Yeah, because when we talk about imported films, the first thing comes to mind is Hollywood movies,、mm. and actually, there are plenty of imported films that、um, Chinese people could be interested in. We saw that there were some really popular、um, movies from India, for example, and then you know Bollywood is something that、uh, some moviegoers are. Particularly drawn to, and also you know with the slam dunk example, as well as a lot of the other Japanese animation movies, and、uh, 
Yeah, and some of the more indie, modern, contemporary movies are also popular. Maybe not the kind of blockbuster darling that you might see, but they've got a niche but steady market in China. And also, I think when we are talking about imported films, actually, the whole film industry is affected by the changes in consumption habits of, I think, Generation Z or young people nowadays. Because according to Li Jingyan, an industry insider who is engaging in film distribution work, he said, in recent years, the market share of top movies has been rising, while the market share of like mid-tier movies has been declining. And now the post 95s, which is the people who born after 1995, and the people who born after 2000, will go to the cinema like less regularly, and they may only watch one or two movies a month. And these one or two movies are usually the hottest ones of the month.、Mm-hmm. Such consumption habits lead to the popular movies more popular, and the market for mid-tier movies is getting smaller and smaller. Right, interesting. And while the flow of U.S. movies into China has essentially returned to pre-pandemic levels, Hollywood seems to be、mm, kind of struggling to lure Chinese audiences back into the multiplex. Even the Marvel properties,、mm. uh, which traditionally made bank in China, have kind of underwhelmed. The Black Panther, not particularly successful.、Um, also, the recent one, Ant Man. Yeah, Quantum Mania. Wow, good job in knowing that. And、uh, yeah, and a whole bunch of others. Like even the Marvel universe doesn't seem to be working as magic anymore. But it seems like in a lot of markets actually around the world, maybe people are experiencing a little bit of the superhero fatigue. Certainly in China, it seems like the Marvel movie superhero. Formula is a little bit too predictable now, and then,、mm. and when you think about it, it's been more than a decade already. Do you think that maybe this predictable way of making superhero movies, and also the fact that it's been such a big part of Hollywood movies, and you've got some of the most respectable movie directors like Martin Scorsese and others coming out and saying that、uh, Marvel superhero movies are not movies, you know? So,、mm. but it's also sucking. Up so much oxygen in the room of box office performance, and maybe it's about a time that Hollywood needs to rethink about how it does business and how to actually churn out creative, interesting movies. Well, as somebody who is not, a, yeah, I, I mean, I'm quite biased here because I'm not a massive fan of superhero movies. There are definitely some exceptions.、Uh, for example, the、Wolverine. Batman franchise. Um, some of the early,、uh, the ones you know, the Dark Knight, all of those,、yeah. those three movies, I think, are absolutely amazing.、Um, the Christopher Nolan ones, but generally speaking, I think that this massive superhero Marvel era, and I mean, it really has defined almost the last couple of decades. I think, at least in popular film, I think that it might be finite.、Mm. I think that it might have a sell-by date on it, and. You know, maybe there's something there to what you're saying. I don't know if people. I mean, I I was bored with it almost immediately, but I think that a lot of people are probably. I mean, how many times can you bring Iron Man back to life? You know,、um, when you I, have I to know, get、right? a new like, younger guy in. Oh man, 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, how many Spider-Mans can there be? I mean, wasn't there like four of them at the same time in the last Three, Spider-Man movie? I think. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I didn't watch it, but I heard that. So, yeah, I think that maybe this is this is part of it as well that it's not just Hollywood films that are being phased out uh, popularity waning in China, it's also superhero movies in general. Maybe we'll see. That is exactly what I would like to say. Well, of course, we're seeing some drop on the box office of these Hollywood movies, especially these superhero movies. Think about your own problems, man. It, like, I mean, there is a reason that uh, people do not like to watch these movies because the quality, the plots of these movies are not the same as before. Of course, we mentioned uh, the death of Iron Man. I'm so distraught you didn't like that <laughs> yeah it doesn't have to be but it's not the topic we're talking about today okay. but yeah so one thing is that if the quality of these movies are good enough i think chinese audience will also buy the tickets of course according to meng danting who is the ceo of imax china he claimed that he doesn't believe the argument that chinese people don't want to watch Hollywood movies anymore because chinese audiences taste is becoming more and more sophisticated and value the storyline more and more. Mm -hmm. If the quality of Hollywood movies are good enough, they can still appeal to Chinese audiences. And um, we can see the examples of um, the one you was really favorite of the slam dunk, right? <laughs> and I think another reason is that there is a time lag between the Chinese market and uh, foreign market by the approval process of imported films. Mm -hmm. We can see, you said that the Slam Dunk released first in December last year, but- In Japan. Yeah, in Japan. So, but now it's finally in China. So there is like basically four to five months of time lag. Of course, it will cause some of the, uh, the difference on the number of imported movies, because if it is released in China last year, then it will be this film of last year. Mm -hmm. But it's just added to the number of this year. So the decreasing number of imported movies also lie in the issue of these um, film reviews, schedule and promoting because there is a whole season for promoting these films. That's true. Yeah. I remember before the pandemic, there was a time when uh, there was limited time difference between the release in China and elsewhere. Sometimes China even earlier than the global market. Yeah, that was maybe the honeymoon period, <laughs> which was quite long between Hollywood and the Chinese movie market. And it certainly has an effect on people's willingness to go to the cinema. And also, you know, pre-pandemic days, we didn't have second thoughts going into a closed black room and just sit there, you know, being held hostage for two hours, you know. But now maybe people think about these things differently. And even with some of the Marvel movies that we mentioned earlier, um, some of those movies didn't even make it to the Chinese movie market mm. in time. And therefore, it was almost like a discontinuation of some people's interest in go seeing these Absolutely. movies. And I think it has a bit of an effect on some of the um, uh, performances of later movies because of the f same franchise. Ideally, you know, the way the business strategy was to keep on cultivating and feeding the fans 
uh, every year a few doses of movies. But if there was a break in the middle, then you might lose some moviegoers in that sense. And also, the movie、uh, schedule is heavily regulated in this country, and some of the domestic movies can enjoy a little bit more. Are a bit more in favor to be shown in the movie cinema, and some of the showing times of the popular domestic movies can go on for months sometimes. And in that sense, then、um, the domestic movies are in may have enjoyed a bit of a leg up in that sense because there are these. Quite preferential policies in place, which have helped domestic movies' quality, and in a sense that has helped domestic movies. I think、uh, that has something to do with、um, the basically two main categories of imported films. One type is revenue share films,、um, like overseas producers can participate in the split of the domestic box office. And share a certain amount of the film's box office revenue. Normally, it's 25%. For example, the well-known Fast and Furious 9 and other traditional Hollywood blockbusters are in this category. And another one is the flat fee films, aka buyout films. Domestic film companies buy out the screening rights of films from foreign film companies at a fixed price, and then these foreign film companies do not participate in China's box office share. So the thing is, there are some changes in the number that China can import these films. In 1994, back then we can only like import ten revenue share films that basically reflect, quote unquote, basically reflect the achievements of the world's outstanding civilizations and show the achievements of contemporary film art and technology. And these can be introduced every year. And then in 2001, China joined the WTO, and the number of revenue share films was increased from 10 to 20. In 2012, China and the United States reached a China-U.S. film agreement, and the and on the basis of 20 revenue share films, an additional 14 films for 3D and IMAX movies can be imported, and increased the chance of Chinese private enterprises to release imported films. Thus, the emergence of flat fee films. So theoretically speaking, the current flat fee films has no quota limit. So we can see there are more and more films imported in recent years.、Mm-hmm. And these days, given we're so used to paying for a subscription of、uh, video streaming platforms and watching movies at home or using a projector or whatever term that. You kids use these days.、Um, you can project the movie to a whole wall, and that can become your screen. And more people are using that at home. So maybe even just persuading people to go into a separate physical venue called the cinema is a little bit more difficult these days. Josh, do you have some thoughts about that? And also, what would attract you as well? That's a movie that I will definitely pay for. To go to the cinema to see. Yeah, we've discussed this before, and definitely less people are going to cinemas. I, I'm not sure what would persuade me to go to the cinema. It'd probably just be、uh, if I was going on a date or something like this, and somebody else wanted to. I guess 
it would have to be something that was in some way exclusive. I think there'd have to be some sort of exclusivity or something special about the event that would make me get up off the sofa and actually go. Um, I think that it's becoming more and more niche. So I think, yeah, the only thing that would make me go is if there was uh, something about that event, me physically going to the cinema that day that mm -hmm. would be exclusive. Maybe the film is only released in cinemas, um, but increasingly the time between being released in cinemas and being released on TV is less and less. And of course, if yeah. it's released on a streaming platform like Netflix, which a lot of big movies are now, it's instantly available. So Yeah, so it's pretty tough competition that the movie industry is going through. And I just like to say, if it's a good movie, um, people will go see it. But a bad film is a bad film. And audiences aren't obliged to feel for characters who act a certain way, but ring hollow. And it's certainly not appealing to any cinema goer when anything less than a happy ending would mean the movie could ever be shown. Audiences are always going to vote with their feet. And coming up next, do you plan or not plan when you go traveling? Stick around, everybody. We'll be right back after this break. The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Mingxing was a native of Hanyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the Audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, when traveling, do you plan out your entire trip or do you decide what to do as you go along? I'm curious, what kind of traveler are you? And a 55-year-old delivery man just made his poetry debut. Discovering art in everyday life is what we're going to talk about. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast and keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to EZFMRoundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in the show in our Heart to Heart segment. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, do you really need to think about travel planning? It's an age-old discussion among travelers. Some people plan their trips to a tea, while others just like to go and see where the wind takes them. What's more, planning has never been easier with the internet, but being a free spirit is part of the fun. For us, there is no right or wrong way to travel. With the May Day holiday just around the corner, have you planned a trip yet? 
Guys, I'd like to check with you. What kind of traveler are you? Plan or no plan? Well, I have to say, this question doesn't have to be a black or white one, right? It has to be for a roundtable <laughs> today. <laughs> But I will choose to having plants because you like to have plants. Yeah. Okay.、Um, because we have to say, planning can help us to save a lot of time, money, and frustrations.、Uh -huh. Travel planning in advance of trips means that you can often. Take advantage of、um, you know travel deals, cheaper airfare, and seat sales, and find accommodation that meets your needs and budget. Okay. And the longer one waits, the less choices they may th th there may be, and those choices may be also more expensive. Okay. What about you, Josh? Plan or no plan? I definitely think I'm more of the no plan kind of person. Of course, that I have some plans. I know where I'm going, but. I think some of the most exciting experience, definitely the most exciting experiences I've ever had, have been ones where I've had no plan at all.、Um, and but this requires you to be flexible in many ways. For example, I, I'm a bit of a solo traveler, although it's been a while since I've really done so. I much prefer to、uh, go traveling alone if I get the opportunity to do so.、Um, so yeah, I, I, I like to choose a destination and have an idea about what's going on there. Um, but I, I'm I'm also the kind of person that's just fascinated to walk around a city and just look at the architecture, and it doesn't have to even be a tourist spot. I just like looking at buildings, whatever they are, and I really like going and walking around random suburbs. Actually,、It、might sound a bit weird, but I just like walking and just seeing the life and how people are living there, and the houses, markets, all this kind of thing. So that requires little to no planning, really. Yeah. Nobody's asking me, but I'm just gonna <laughs> say it. I am also one person who doesn't really like the planning of going on a trip because I hate prep work.、Mm. It's enough to prepare for this show. No, I mean I'm happy to do it,、uh, but I'm also paid to do it, right?、Um, but when I go on a trip, the biggest headache for me is planning it, and I would just. So yeah, I guess in a way I kind of like the planning, but I don't like doing it, and therefore I end up just going as a free spirit, only booking the ticket and possibly the hotel, and then that's about it. But if I have the benefit of traveling with friends, right, then they could do all the heavy lifting if they're so kind in doing so, and if somebody else is planning the trip. Doing all the research, comparing the rates, and checking out all the times, and getting the best deals. Also, organizing. Oh, what's best to do in the morning, the noon, and you know, get an ice cream right after the、uh, lunch meal at this famous bistro, and then we cycle to the next place before we take the boat to the next next place. Etc. Then I'm more than happy just to go along because, in that way, then you kind of enjoy the best of two worlds. Am I a little bit self-contradictory there?、Um, That's why I say it's not a black or white question. You can always <laughs> leave these things to other people. But、um, you don't always have that luxury, though. So you are enjoying the benefits of having plans, but you don't want to make plans. So you're. Making others to do this, so I think that is 
why that it is very important to choose the person you travel with. And um, not only that you can have a better plan, but also you can have a happier trip with them because you guys have connections with each other. And even if this is a place that you really don't like, but you can have a great experience with them. And another thing is that you will always find a place to go anyway, because if somebody they're saying, okay, I just, I am a free spirit. I, I don't want to be restrained by any plans, but you will have a destination. That is a plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly and you can just, like Josh said. <laughs> right. Yeah, you yeah. cannot start traveling from the airport, right? So, oh, mm. yeah, even Liang Chaowei, Tony Liang, when he made the decision to go feed pigeons in London, he had to make the plan of going to London, but that was about it. And <laughs> oh, I always envy that guy. Um, what, you know, that's a dream one can think about one day to do, you know, just have the luxury of going wherever you want, whenever you want, that that's so amazing just thinking about it. Yeah, if you are a solo traveler, then like Josh mentioned, then you can do anything you want, plan or no plan. And just wandering about, I think there's something really nice about that. It's almost like the adrenaline of spontaneity that you can enjoy. And I, I think that's the beauty of not planning for a trip. But if you're like lazy Huyang, then if you're traveling with someone as a free spirit as you are, you should be accommodating, I would think, because if you've got another human being or a bunch of other uh, friends or people involved as you're going together, then if you're the loner and you just do whatever you like, then I don't see how that can work because other people are going to be unhappy unless you're like so self-involved or, you know, everybody just puts up everything f for you. You are the sun. Everybody else just revolves around you. Then otherwise, yeah, it's just not going to work. And then that's why, let's say if you're in my situation, when I travel with lovely friends who plan everything, then I make the cautious effort of giving them the return of them doing the hard work because <laughs> otherwise, you know, they've already done so much so these like intangible labor before we even left, before we even started the journey. And therefore, the way I do it is um, I will take them out for nice meals and always be the cheerleader because They've done all the hard work and therefore, you know, I just want to give them the morale boost. Uh, even when we get a little bit frustrated, sometimes, you know, you took the wrong train. Sometimes maybe you missed a train or whatever it is. But yeah, that's the only way to get along with people and make this thing work, in my opinion. Josh, I know you don't really like the idea of going to travel with other people unless um, you're... You know, this person is really special to you, I suppose. But what do you think about this arrangement of, well, sometimes maybe you got to make these compromises if you want to not do the hard work. I've been on holiday with groups before and sometimes it's been great. Sometimes it's been super stressful, honestly. I think it depends what kind of holiday you go on. And I think now after all those experiences and I've been lucky enough to travel a lot in my younger life, I, I've found that certain types of holidays are great for groups 
for example, the kind of holidays where you're not doing too many activities or you're not going to see too many tourist sites, things that make you physically tired. For example, if you're going just on a beach holiday and you're just going to go party on the beach for five days, yeah, go with as many friends as possible because it's everybody does what they want and you're all kind of in the same place, you know? Um, I know that I've been to Sanya a few times with friends and it's always been easy because you've got the beach and I'm not saying Sanya doesn't have anything else, but I mean, <laughs> this is what we went there for. And so it was right. fine. But I've also been on holidays where I remember once I went to Barcelona and anybody who's been there or who knows about Barcelona knows that there are tons of things to see, tons of things to go walking up and down and around. And if you go with a big group, different people have different levels of stamina, have get, get up at different times, yeah. get hungry at different times. And it just doesn't work unless you are all for somehow just on the same level with all of this, or some people are just completely easy going about it. So this is what I've learned. It's not the same, different holidays for different groups. For me, anyway. Yeah. And even for the number of people you're going along with, let's say you're just going with one other person. And that's still relevant because you still need to sort of come up with an agreement in how we're going to spend the time or is it okay to sort of yeah, we can be together for most of the day or maybe half of the day we can just go our separate ways if it's even if it's just the two of us. And I find that to be perfectly fine, but mm. apparently um some people find that to be very annoying and almost like um a betrayal of some sort. Anyway, so it, people have different ideas when it comes to traveling uh, planning or not even if it's just two people yeah the most comfortable scene of traveling is that you can control yourself and you can go wherever you want of course and also i understand that people who do not like to have plans is that they enjoy that kind of uncertainty they would like to have that kind of adventurous experience and um for example if you are not sure where you want to go not having a plan can help you to open to different opportunities and without a plan, it's easy to step out of your comfort zone and try something new. And one could say not planning allows you to see things from afar without the pressure that it needs to be completed by a deadline. And in that case, you will have no restraints. But I would say even if you have plans, you will come across a lot of uncertainties. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but you can go through all of these uncertainties with plans. Wouldn't that be a greater thing? <laughs> also, I understand that planning is good, especially if you slip into this kind of mindset. That is, you're only going to be here once, most likely. Mm. And you want to make the most and best out of the limited time you have here and therefore plan everything meticulously and don't miss out on the things that you apparently must see or you will forget regret uh if you didn't forever in life and you know these are usually the slogans that's written on um these travel guides and if you agree with that then yeah i'm I can't understand why people want to plan everything out if they can. Josh, can you understand that? Do you feel that sentiment? But also, you're somebody who doesn't go with a plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that sentiment. I mean, 
what is a holiday? What is the purpose of it, right? I guess, generally speaking, when we say holiday, when we say vacation, what we're talking about is enjoying yourself, right? However that may be. And it, for some people, that means traveling. It means seeing things. It means ticking things off their list. For some people, it means going and sitting on the same beach every day for 10 days and just having pina coladas and swimming in the ocean. Both of those sound great to me. For other people, maybe it's just one or the other, or maybe it's something more extreme or something in the middle. So I, I think that it, it really just depends on people's personalities. So I, I definitely don't think one is better than the other. Yeah, of course, everybody's free to make their own decisions. And some people really like to hit all the right spots when they're there. Um, I remember once going to Hong Kong SAR and visiting a local restaurant that was supposed to be really good. According to a friend, I went there. And I thought I just stepped into a little restaurant in Japan because everybody there, all of the diners were all Japanese. And apparently they all followed the same tour guide book and it recommended that restaurant. And for a second, I just thought, well, this is, well, I had the food, it was fine, but it was hardly representative of the magic of Hong Kong cuisine. And I just thought, huh, isn't this interesting how people have been guided to this one place just because we follow certain media outlets, certain KOLs, in this case, one tour guide, and how extremely boring it is if so many people are just going to see this one thing because some person told you to do so. And I love the idea of exploration, spontaneity, and, and all that good stuff. So, so yeah, I think maybe... It goes back to what Yushun said in the beginning. That is, it's not black or white, but it's, you know, a little bit of both. And it mm. might uh, make the trip that much better because um, nobody can really rigidly. Well, actually, some people can rigidly follow a plan. But there are mm. so many uncertainties in life that you simply just cannot plan for. And now we're seeing that with the May holiday May Labor Day holiday right around the corner. A lot of people are planning for their trips, are thinking about going to places. And Chinese young people have demonstrated that they might have some preferences when it comes to travel. So what are these new trends, Yushun? Yeah, and I think there is always something that is guiding people to someplace to travel. Just like you said before, maybe people will follow some kind of guidebooks. And now people just follow something that they saw on TV shows, film, and celebrities and idols, these things are all having a significant impact on younger travelers' destination choices. And of course, as you said, KOLs are also leading the way that people would like to travel because they just post a lot of uh, Instagrammable pictures on social media platforms attracting people to travel. And of course, they would like to have same kind of photos so they will go to these kind of destinations and also theme parks are another hit with china's gen z for example shanghai disney resort has emerged as one of the country's most popular destinations and a daka hotspot which is people would like to go and take pictures 
According to the China Tourism Academy, nearly half of visitors are aged between 20 to 30 and visit without children. When, <laughs> while this place is basically designed for kids, I would yeah. say. And some kiddos. Um, I know adults hate that term, but you know we say we have a little princess or a little prince in our hearts, and you can never grow out of it.、Um, yeah, there's definitely that. And for parents who are traveling with kids, of course they'll need to think about this. I think from a whole different set of parameters, because you、mm. want to keep the kids busy and you don't want to be too tired. And traveling with kids. Is exhausting. So, oh, parents, I feel for you. Yeah, traveling with kids is a completely different thing, and you probably want to take them to、uh, theme parks or travel destinations that have like kid facilities. You know, that can keep them busy as such. Yeah. So, parents, good luck to you traveling with your kids, huh? All right. Okay. Coming up next. A 55-year-old delivery man just made his poetry debut. He published a whole collection of his poetry. We'll discuss finding beauty in the banal. That is called everyday life. Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, He Yang. I have Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Mr. Wang Jibing has had multiple careers: carpenter, driver, restaurateur. Now he is a delivery man by day and poet by night. He never stopped writing his poetry in the last twenty years, regardless of the day job he took. This February, a publisher contacted him to print a collection of his poems. As one of his poems have received more than twenty million clicks online, most people didn't realize how much of a role. Art plays in our lives, and just how much we rely on art in all of its forms in our everyday lives. And what an achievement for Mr. Wang! Why do you think his story has grabbed the attention of so many internet users? Yeah, after read some of these news of Mr. Wang, I just realized that his poems are just authentic and expressed people's. True feelings, and some people even say that they cried after reading his poem. So I think that is basically the main reason that people are so in favor of reading these kind of、uh, real life poems, but not these poems that we used to saw. And also, I think it reminds me of the topic we discussed before that office workers like to do some labor work after their daytime job. I think、uh, one story has the same theory because. These two types of work are like complementary to each other. In this case, when you are spending most of your time doing some physical work, then it's natural that you may want to do something meet your spiritual need.、Mm-hmm. And I think people just relate to these kind of feelings, and then they are, you know, have some kind of resonate with one's poem. I think that it's really cool. I. I、uh, think that art can be found everywhere. Actually, I think that people have varying definitions of art. I think that, for me, generally, art is about communication.、Um, I think that it's about conveying messages and ideas in a very general way. 
And I think that this can be done through a multitude of mediums. And I think that this is a really nice example. I also really like that um, poetry is being brought into the conversation because I think that there's been a bit of a neglect of the value of poetry, um, at least I think when I was growing up, when I speak to my my grandparents or my parents, they seem to have a bit more of, appreci of a, an appreciation for it, more so than my own generation. Um, I won't speak for the younger generation, but I imagine that it's probably similar. Yeah, and this story to me shows that everybody, regardless of what you do, what line of work you are in, or even for somebody who's maybe not working, you know, we so often let work, what we do define us. And we sometimes confuse who we are with what we do. And it could make us feel terrible at the end of the day. And what this story tells me is that everybody has a spiritual need and everybody has creativity inside of us. But as we become working adults, or maybe for some Chinese people, I think it starts even before that when you're in school, when we're taught that usually there's just one standard answer. And therefore, the system doesn't encourage you to think outside of the box. And creativity is sometimes sidelined. And then just think about if you go through a system like that for years, and then one day when you're out in a joining the workforce, and then you know, there are these very real pressures and stress that you have to perform as a contributing members of society. And therefore, we kind of forget that we have these creative outlets that we can express ourselves. And if we get to do that, it is so good for our well-being. And it is so good for the mind. And it's really nice to be reminded that you can do that through Mr. Wong's story. And also bear in mind, he's not just somebody who's writing a couple of poems along the way kind of thing, because he's been doing this continuously for more than two decades. And to have 20 million clicks of one poem online, he's really good at it. And uh, it feels great to see one of these stories. And let's remind everybody, how is making art or pursuing some of these spiritual endeavors of creating something really good for your mind and body? I think that art is incredibly beneficial for the mind, the body, for society as a whole. I think it's really important. And I think that the benefits, we do not know what all the benefits are yet, but they, they really are incredible because as I said before, I think that one major purpose of art is communication. And if you think about the value of clear communication or the value of expression, or rather the negative effects of not being able to express oneself, I think that art holds a really important place in this regard. I think I'm talking in quite general terms. Maybe afterwards you guys can give me some more um, specific examples. But I think that if, we t if I talk about expression for, for a moment, I think that... Uh, Art presents you with the opportunity to communicate your emotions and thoughts and perspectives. And actually, I think a lot of our thoughts and perspectives 
without getting too deep here, I think it transcends language. Uh, sometimes I do not think that the words that we have, the language that we speak really allows us to express the complexities of our feelings and our emotions. And we all know that how healthy it is to release those things. And I think art offers an opportunity to do so. So that's definitely one benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also I think that art is something that can be both fancy and classic and down to earth mm -hmm. because art is in every corner of our life like painting, reading, singing, comedy, even graffiti we talked about before um, are different forms of art and you don't need to be an artist to enjoy or create art. We can see there are so many people from grassroots that are favored by many audiences. We know there is a popular TV show, TV program in China that's called Xingguang Da Dao or The Avenue of Stars. This is a show that allows everybody to have a chance to showcase their talents to people all around the world, at least in China. So I think no matter what kind of job title you are, you can always create and enjoy art. That is, I think, what is fascinating about art. Wonderful. Yes. Flexing our creative side can give us a stronger sense of agency, the ability to solve problems by imagining possible solutions, and also engaging in any act of visual expression activates the reward pathway in our brain, and therefore that can produce a pleasurable experience, which makes us feel really good. And we live in this culture that believes only gifted people should dance, sing, and draw, and that can't be more wrong, because actually that creativity is inside all of you all of us and we just need to find it and that becomes an expression outlet and you can tell us you know how what it does to you and i think it's going to be a pretty good one you're listening to roundtable thank you so much yushun and josh cotterell for joining the discussion i'm he young we'll see you next time <laughs>